According to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me in John chapter 20, Gospel of John chapter 20. We have the final details to work through related to the synchronizing the asynchronous synchronizing the asynchronous john chapter 20 with the empty tomb before we begin let's take a moment for silent prayer making sure that we are indeed filled with the holy spirit equipped to handle spiritual truth heavenly father we do thank you for this morning the privilege we have to assemble together, to study, to show ourselves approved. We ask for your hand of blessing upon our time together. Father, open the eyes of our understanding. Uh, give us ears to hear. Father, allow the word of God to be uh, received with humility, that it might uh, be planted, Father, in good depth of soil. Clear away the stones, cl- uh, clear away the thorns. Father, provide good depth of soil that we might receive the word implanted. Father, we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are in the midst of main point three. In the process of teaching this, there's a lot you can teach with respect to the empty tomb. There's a lot you can teach with respect to the resurrection. In so many ways, the resurrection is the essence of Christianity. If, if, if Christ has not been raised, we're, our faith is worthless. Um, so we're, we're dealing with one of the, 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 the central points that Christ died for our sins and he rose from the dead. So this is really the core of who we are and why we're here. Uh, in the process of teaching this, there's uh, a number of things that we can go into, including the fact that we are now those that worship on the first day of the week, the significance of the Lord's Day. The significance of Sunday is is uh, critical in, the, in understanding that, yes, there was doctrine pertaining to the Sabbath. Yes, that taught what it was supposed to teach during the stewardship of Israel, but it has now given way to an even greater truth, greater than the seventh day of rest is the first day of, uh, of resurrection, the first day of new things. And uh, yes, the number seven is a significant biblical number in countless passages throughout the scriptures, but the number eight is also a critical number when you study biblical numerology, and it's the number of new things. Also, secondly... The explicit Sunday resurrection is helpful to identify the Friday crucifixion. We have all of these explicit statements of the first day of the week in which he was raised from the dead. And by identifying that as the third day, then it makes it clear that uh, Jesus died on a Friday. Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD for the crucifixion date. And we discussed the uh, contrast there with folks that hold to a uh, Wednesday crucifixion or a Thursday crucifixion and really the only reason to try and attempt something like that is because you're trying to get a fourth day you're trying to get three full days and three full nights uh, and uh, the, pr- the problem with doing that of course is that you end up with a fourth day uh, which doesn't work with all the other references to on the third day that we have throughout the New Testament finally where we left off and where we are today synchronizing the asynchronous synchronizing the asynchronous understand that in matthew mark luke and john you have largely asynchronous accounts meaning it was not the purpose of the authors to write their narrative and synchronize them with what the other gospel accounts were saying matthew was not trying to be synchronous with mark or luke uh, and and so forth none of the synoptic gospels were attempting to be synchronous with one another and, and this episode is actually one of the, the more puzzling ones, one of the more difficult ones for us to do because the details are so divergent, because uh, each gospel writer chose to record different elements than any of the others chose to record. And so you can use uh, reference material like we have with A.T. Robertson and his Harmony of the Gospels. That gives us at least... Um, a framework to work with. Johnston Cheney uh, gave us a narrative. He took that framework and actually put it in a narrative form, and we did give you a handout for that that gave you the narrative of uh, the uh, empty stone or the uh, the rolled away stone and empty tomb uh, episode. My own outline, uh, A through G, will put all of these items into a sequence. 
Uh, I think it's the best sequence, uh, if I may so humbly declare that. I think it's the best sequence, and uh, it improves upon other sequencings that have been done that that are problematic in large respect. And uh, I'll try to comment upon that as we work our way through. Now, we've done A through D already. A through D. I think we've even done A through E, because we talked about Peter and John racing to the tomb. So we've done A through E. We just have F and G that are left, and uh, and then main point four, and we'll be done with this episode. So we started off with the earthquake and the angel and the guards being knocked out, the incapacitation of the guards. And um, I think the language in Matthew 28 speaks of that before dawn, before the sun rose. Um, there are different idioms that are used. One says at early dawn, one says after the sun rose. And so uh, putting those in their, in their sequence, I think, is important. Uh, but before dawn, the earthquake and angel incapacitate the guards. We'll talk about that more today uh, or next week whenever we get to the guards, when they give their report to the chief priests. When they give their report, they speak of this angel and the stone being rolled away. And so we'll discuss that. But the, the, that's already done by the time the women arrive. When the women are traveling there, they're, they're concerned about the stone. They're concerned about how are we going to get that stone rolled away. And when they arrive, they find it's already been rolled away. All right, it's already been rolled away. So there's a distinction to be found. Before dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other women arrive and they see the stone is rolled away. It's already done by the time they arrive. And uh, we have Mary Magdalene and the other women. And depending on which gospel you're reading, the list of names will be shorter or longer. In, uh, I think in Matthew, it's just Mary and the other Mary. Uh, you start reading in Mark and you, and you get additional names. Luke, you get additional names. Salome is, is traveling with them and other women are traveling with them. Mary Magdalene runs off to fetch Peter and John. And this is where we are uh, today. John chapter 20. Um, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now, it's not the purpose of John to record those other women at this point. He does not do so. Um, he just mentions Mary by herself in verse 1. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we, we do not know where they have laid him. All right. And so there's the mention of the term we in verse two. Now he doesn't mention, she doesn't mention the other names. The other women are not mentioned, but we know that there has to be more than one because Mary uses the term we there in verse two. All right. So understand what John's doing here. He has a purpose for not mentioning the other names. He has a purpose for only mentioning Mary. And Mary's going to be the one that's spotlighted in verse 11 and following. Mary's going to be the one that Jesus meets one-on-one. She thinks he's the gardener. And he you know, calls her by her name. And she immediately then knows that it's Jesus when he says to her, Mary, and um, so forth. Well, well, we'll get into that today as we look at that particular aspect. So putting these things in the sequence, all right? So the first thing that happens is the earthquake, <clears throat> the angel comes, he rolls away the stone, he sits on top of the stone, the women didn't see that, but he sits on top of the stone and the guards fall like dead men. They fall like dead men, all right? And that's the last mention we have of them until they get up and they go report to the high priest, okay? We don't have any hint of them. I, we... we I, we have to guess or we have to just kind of presume that they're just laid there knocked out they're laid there unconscious all right because they don't see the women the women don't see them or don't mention them all right and uh there they are all right so mary magdalene runs off to fetch peter and john that would leave the other women that is everybody except Mary Magdalene, to enter the tomb and listen to the angelic testimony before departing. And that's what we spent most of our time with last week. The, the fact that they entered into the tomb, that they saw the place where he was laying, they saw the, the cloth, they listened to the message. And they were told, basically, he's not here, he's risen, go tell the disciples he's going to meet them in Galilee. He's going to meet them in Galilee. That's the message they were commanded to take. Um, now, Mary Magdalene was not present for that. She didn't hear any of that. When she reports to Peter and John, the stones rolled away, the body's missing, we don't know where they took them. 
She has not heard an angelic announcement about his resurrection. She has not heard an angelic announcement about tell the disciples to go to Galilee. She doesn't tell him any of that. She just tells Peter and John, the, the stone's rolled away, the body's gone. I think that's significant that Mary Magdalene does not hear the angelic testimony. All right. Now, uh, the angelic testimony tells them to, uh, to these women to go report to the disciples, and they do so first with fear and joy, secondly with gripping fear and silence. And I think this is the, the best way to reconcile this. The different folks sequence it in different ways, and I think when they do, they've got a problem. They've got a problem. They end up with a conundrum that doesn't have an answer when they sequence it in the order they do. I think this order keeps it reconcilable. It keeps it uh, where we validate every passage of Scripture. All right? And remember, this is where Matthew says that they went and they reported, and Mark says, no, they didn't. They were filled with fear, and they didn't say a word to anybody. Okay? Now, if that's all we have, then we've got a problem. Because we've got a, a, an irreconcilable contradiction that we would struggle to, to make both passages true. Matthew says they reported. Mark says, no, they didn't. Okay? So how do, we, how do we reconcile those? Well, we put them in a sequence. We put them, say, at first they went in order to report. But then secondly, they were gripped with fear and they didn't want to say a word. Until thirdly, Jesus Christ himself shows up and he encourages them. He removes their fear and he propels them then to go tell the disciples. And so I think if we put Matthew 28, 8 first, Mark 16, 8 second, Mark 28, uh, back to Matthew again for Matthew 28, verses 9 and 10, third, I think we've got the best sequence that validates every one of these truths. Every one of these truths, okay? And you have to do this or the Bible has a contradiction. The Bible has a lie. God cannot lie, right? God cannot lie. So that's why we take the time to work this through. And it may seem pedantic. It may seem um, tedious, but it's necessary to be pedantic and tedious on occasion to where we have every word of Scripture validated. Every statement, every, every um, jot and tittle is eternally true. All right. Otherwise, I think you just end up with more of the uh, more of the problems. So, and and also, to be fair, I think it it keeps people from misreading um, that uh, joy of Matthew twenty eight eight. I think some folks misread that to say that that verse uh, speak. Turn there if you would, Matthew twenty eight. You'll see what I'm talking about here. I won't take the whole hour to do this because we did this last week, but um, wouldn't hurt to look at it a second time. Matthew twenty-eight, eight. Okay, they have the angelic imperative to go. Okay, and that is an imperative. <laughs> go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. So they don't have to go and tell the disciples the tomb's empty. Come look at it. They go and tell the disciples, he's risen from the dead, he's gone ahead of you to Galilee. That's their assignment. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So verse 8 says, And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran for the purpose of, or to, report it to his disciples. They ran to report it to his disciples. But they don't reach the disciples in verse 8. Okay? They don't reach the disciples yet in verse 8 because Jesus meets them in verse 9. And they're still, they've not yet reached the disciples. Does that make sense? And so you look at verse 8 as a purpose clause. They ran to report it. They ran to report it. But they don't reach, they don't actually make that report quite yet until Jesus meets them along the way. And he says to them, Stop being afraid. Do not be afraid. So what happens in between verse 8 and verse 9 that causes Jesus to come and take away their fear? Impel them to continue their journey? Okay, And I think this is where it's, we have the indication in Mark 16, 8 that 
on their way between the tomb and the disciples, they started to be gripped by this fear. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I believe that verse is true. Like I believe Matthew 28, 8 is true. They departed with joy to report it to the disciples, but then fear gripped them and they didn't say a word. But then Jesus met them, Matthew 28, 9. Okay? So every one of these verses is true if you put it in this sequence. Back to Matthew 28, 9, then Jesus himself appears, removes their fear and propels them to the disciples. Now, I think that his appearance to them in verse 9 is after his appearance to Mary Magdalene, but we can debate that tonight. We can debate that in our next potluck. Okay, I think that his appearance to these women follows his appearance to Mary Magdalene that we'll study today in John 20. But it that does not necessarily have to be the case. That's probably a coin flip. All right? But an appearance by Jesus himself removed their fear and propelled them to the disciples. And when we look at, at these verses, behold, Jesus met them, this is 28.9, and greeted them, and they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped them. Now, that's huge because he does not tell them, stop touching me. Okay? He will, we'll see that here in a moment with Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene takes hold of him and he says, don't touch me. Okay? And that's significant, for I've not yet ascended to my father. But these women, it's okay for them to touch him, but not Mary Magdalene. Well, why would that be? Why would that be? Why, with Mary Magdalene, hands off, with these other women, not a word is said. Okay? That's why I think this follows that, and in between, he actually ascends to the Father and takes care of that business so that he can, uh, he can be touchable then for the rest of his resurrection ministry. All right, so uh, the other women, minus Mary Magdalene, enter the tomb. They listen to the angelic testimony before departing. When they depart, at first, they have the fear of the Lord and joy, but then second, they were gripped with carnal fear and silence until third, Jesus himself shows up removes their fear and propels them to the disciples. I think that's the best sequence that balances all of these uh, all of these details. Now, point E. While the women are there listening to the angelic message, remember Mary Magdalene had run and reported to Peter and John. So let's get back to John 20 then. John chapter 20. Uh, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Uh, the verse doesn't say there's other women there, but we know that there are. And so she ran by herself, leaving the other women there. She ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's the apostle John. We know that. He never names himself in his own gospel account. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Nothing about seeing angels, nothing about he's risen, nothing about go to Galilee. She wasn't there to hear any of that. Not at all. She just took off running and all she could say is uh, we don't know where the body is. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Okay, so when Peter and John make it there, by the way, there's no angels. The, the other women are gone. They've already finished their message and departed. And uh, John is younger than Peter, so he wins the foot race. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. But Simon Peter finally came caught up, right, huffing and puffing. Uh, entered the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there. Peter was not the cautious type to peer in at the door, and he's just the barge right on in, get in the middle of things kind of personality. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, he saw and believed. But notice, there's no angel. 
There's no uh, message. There's no, behold, he is risen. Go and tell his disciples that he'll meet them in Galilee. These are his disciples. The angels have already delivered their message to the women to go and report that to the disciples. And the angels left. The angels have no reason to hang around in an empty tomb. Right? Why would they linger any longer? They've already accomplished their assignment. They delivered their report to those women and they went back to heaven. They're done. All right. So uh, they're both standing in the tomb. He saw and believed. Verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Stop to consider. No matter how many times he told them, he taught them the doctrine, they didn't, didn't understand it. Not until this very moment. They didn't understand it because they didn't want to understand it. They didn't want to listen to the resurrection message because they didn't want to listen to the crucifixion message. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. To their own homes. Okay, so that's where we left off. But now Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. So we don't know if she just ran slower than Peter. <laughs> it took her that long to get there. We don't know if, um, you know, she didn't run at all. She just walked. I mean, she'd already run from the tomb to the disciples. So whatever the case, who knows? She find, she follows along, and now she is uh, <clears throat> standing outside the tomb weeping. And, uh, oh, here's more angels. That's right. They didn't go back to heaven, did they? They're still here. Now, if they're still here, why did they not pop up visible and tell Peter and John all about it? Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the head and one on the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? But she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. All right. So point F, Mary Magdalene arrives for the second time at the tomb and remains outside of it weeping. Remains outside of it weeping. She sees two angels, then meets the Lord. All right, she sees two angels, then meets the Lord. Boy, that point is wordy. I should have broken that up. That's a long point. Mary Magdalene arrives for the second time at the tomb, remains outside of it weeping. She sees two angels. Now, it's interesting. They ask, why are you weeping? Um, they don't say, you know, behold, he is risen. Go tell the disciples. He's gone ahead of them to Galilee. None of that. That, that message has already been delivered. This woman has the why are you weeping question. Jesus himself will ask that question in verse 15. Woman, why are you weeping? Then he adds it to it. He says, who are you seeking? Okay. So she um, sees the two angels. She then meets the Lord. Finally, she rushes back to join the other women once uh, she's convinced that this is the Lord. All right. So I view Mary's episode as different from the other women. The other women that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other women in their encounter with the angels is different from Mary Magdalene and her encounter with the angels. Uh, the other women in her and their encounter with the Lord is different than Mary Magdalene's encounter with the Lord. Mary Magdalene's encounter with the Lord happens in the garden. Those other women were somewhere else between the garden and the, and, uh, the disciples. Mary Magdalene was not permitted to touch him. The other women were. These are the distinctions between the two episodes, and I think that you have to keep them separate. And likely, Mary's came first before Jesus went and found those other fearful women and sent them to go, you know, continue on talking to the disciples. All right. So, woman, why are you weeping? Because she said to them, or she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse thirteen. So she has no understanding of the resurrection. She thinks it's just a missing corpse, that somebody has taken his remains, and she wants to know where. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. And so she has the same question, but then he adds to it. Okay, because the answer she gave those guys was wrong. 
So he asks the question again, but he adds to it. Try to get a different answer. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. You know, I don't know where she's going to put him, but, you know, she's got some kind of idea, some, some place in mind. We'll bury him somewhere else. If, uh, if I bury him where I know where he is and nobody else knows where he is, then, you know, he'll stay hidden and they'll, they'll quit stealing his body. But then Jesus said to her, Mary. <laughs> one word. One word. Mary. Now, he already had two questions. Woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? And she doesn't recognize his voice in either of those questions. Doesn't recognize him in either of those questions. <clears throat> but, as, but all he has to say is, Mary. And she turns and says to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. So however he said it, whatever his tone of voice is, whatever his inflection is, whatever his, whatever his, um, their familiarity with each other, okay, I suspect that, uh, that uh, it was just probably the way that he said it. You know, it's probably just, maybe it was just a unique little way that he always said her name. Okay, um, however the case. Who knows? You know, I, my sister's name is Mary and I tease her quite a bit with different ways. I talk about her name and uh, maybe this was something similar. Maybe this was just, uh, you know, the way that he said it. Nobody else said it like that. Nobody else ever says it like that. Okay. Maybe most other people didn't call her Mary. Maybe they just call her whatever, Magdalene or something. But Jesus called her Mary and she knew it was him based upon how he said it. So she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And I find it interesting. What, if she said to him in Hebrew, what was he talking to her with? All right. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now that right there, goodness, we, we should take time with that. Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Notice, she has a different message than the other women. The other women are supposed to show up and say, go to Galilee, he'll meet you there. Mary's message is, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. My God and your God. Report that. Report that. Okay? And this is why I teach multiple ascensions. I teach the, at least three ascensions of Jesus Christ. Um, the, the final one where he was seated at the Father's right hand and he's now in session as head of the church. But he had two ascensions prior to that. He had to lead captivity captive. He had to cleanse the, the heavenly temple. All right, Those two activities had to take place. And, and one of them at least happens in between here and when he shows up to those other women. Because then he's got no problem with them touching him. All right. So Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I have seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. The other women have a report of the Lord as well, but their report is not about ascending, but going to Galilee. All right. So does that make sense? All right. So she finally rushes back to join the other women in telling the disciples about the risen Lord. So Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord that he had said these things to her. Now let's go ahead and also look at Luke 24 because I think this now puts, puts it together. Mary Magdalene and these other women. Luke 24 And here's the one gospel we haven't read yet. We've, we've read Matthew, we've read Mark, we've seen the, the uh, conundrum with uh, the joy versus the fear, the appearance of Jesus to the women in between the garden and the disciples. Now we have, um, again, first day of the week, early dawn, coming to the tomb, 
bringing spices. Uh, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And we understand that in the meantime, Magdalene took off. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. The women were terrified, bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. Now what we have here is a very broad and general description. Nothing in here is wrong, but it's very broad, it's very general. It does not give us the level of detail that we've been studying the last two weeks. It does not give us the detail from Matthew, the detail from Mark, or the detail from John. Just a very broad description. The women showed up, the stone was gone, the body was missing, the angels uh, gave them a message, and they went and they reported to the disciples. Um, They were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling them these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. These words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. Okay? And I find that remarkable. Why would they appear to them as nonsense? Well, I think if you do the homework and you study the details from Matthew, the details from Mark, the details from John, perhaps we could understand the nonsense because you got this crowd of women saying, We saw the Lord, and He said to tell you to go to Galilee. And then Mary Magdalene says, well, I saw the Lord, and he said he was ascending to the Father. And (laughs) these words appear as nonsense. And Peter and John, by the way, have already been there in the empty tomb. They didn't see nothing. They just saw the the face cloth and that no angel spoke to them. They didn't see the Lord. These words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Now, there's no mention of John at this point. Most everybody takes this as as, uh, a a, a repetition of John's account. I, I wonder. I suspect that this is now Peter's second trip back to the tomb. Now, this is a different trek than John. John doesn't go this time, but but Peter does. Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only. He went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Now, whether G... I think G is a second trip. If it's the same as E, then okay. I won't fight with you on that. Um, And it may very well be the same. Except that Mary Magdalene is mentioned there in verse 10 as being among the women giving the report. And uh, when, when Peter and John were in the tomb, Mary Magdalene had not yet encountered the gardener. Right? So, in my mind, uh, ver, uh, verse 12 there is Peter's second trip back to the tomb. He does not see the Lord there, but he does meet him at some point. Now, the gospel record does not account, does not describe this, but at some point, Peter does come face to face with the Lord. And we know this because of 1 Corinthians 15.5. 1 Corinthians 15.5. So Peter makes a second run back to the tomb. He does not see the Lord there, but he does meet him at some point. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Not the fourth day. Okay? The third day. Crucified on Friday, raised on Sunday. And that He appeared to Cephas. There's Peter right there. Then to the twelve. After that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. In between 33 A.D. and the writing of 1 Corinthians... Okay. 
What did we say on that? 56? 56 AD? Um, in between the, the resurrection of Christ and the writing of 1 Corinthians, you've got roughly 20 years, a little bit more than 20 years. And not all those people are still alive. Some of them have now departed. Some have fallen asleep, but most are still alive. Okay, let's just call it 23 years. Okay, that's uh, almost as long as we've been married. How about that? Or we know, 22 years. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, but I mean, think about it. What do you remember from 23 years ago? And are there people that aren't here anymore that were here back then? They were here back then, they saw it. You know, we've got wedding guests that aren't here anymore. They're in heaven now. Same thing there. So Peter was first, called Cephas in this text. Then to the twelve, that would have to include Matthias, by the way. Okay. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Why do you think he went to Galilee? See, this, uh, this uh, mountain is necessary for the commissioning of these, uh, of these resurrection witnesses. And then he appeared to James. <laughs> Finally now, his human brothers, his uh, half-brothers, the, the, uh, you know, the, the other uh, sons of Joseph and Mary. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. You realize there's more than just the twelve. Okay? The twelve are the twelve, but then there's James, there's all the apostles that are mentioned. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. The final, the final uh, commission to apostolic ministry was the Apostle Paul on the, on the Damascus Road. There was never again a call to apostolic ministry after the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. So there we have it. All right. I believe it's the Peter's second run back to the tomb. If you want to say it's one of the same as the, the foot race with John, you can do that. I just think it's a better sequencing because Mary Magdalene is a part of this report in Luke. Um, and she does not have that uh, the ability to make that report until after Peter and John are in that tomb. So, anyway... I think it's best to view that as a second trip. Now, the main message, point four, the main message from the angels and the Lord is for the apostles to meet him in Galilee. The main message from the angels and the Lord is for the apostles to meet him in Galilee. That's the main message that was given to those women, to those fearful women that we read about in Matthew and Mark. They... Uh, uh, and we've seen it already in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. The main message from the angels and the Lord is for the apostles to meet him in Galilee. I don't think I need to read both of these again, but Matthew 28. It is uh, interesting that he appears to women first. We talk about that as an as a, um, apologetic uh, as uh, evidence for the reliability of the resurrection record uh, against those that would accuse it of being a fraud, uh, those even to this day that maintain that the, the, the resurrection was a fraud, it was a hoax, the disciples stole the body. Um, the idea that this is a, a fraud perpetuated by the apostles who are starting, trying to start a new religion um, is... is uh, makes no sense because if indeed they were perpetuating a fraud they would not damage their own testimony by uh using women as their as their primary witnesses all right because in the culture of the day the testimony of a woman was not uh considered reliable uh, was not as worthy as the the testimony of a man and even to this day in the muslim world the whole idea of the woman's testimony it takes four women to equal one testimony of a man under under Muslim law, okay? Because that's just how deficient the woman is in uh, the Muslim way of thinking. 
So if there was fraud at work, if the disciples were gimmicking the, the whole thing and, and perpetuating a hoax and creating a brand new religion of their own invention, they would not have used women as their, as their first uh, witnesses to the, to the risen Christ. All right, That's what makes it such a reliable, a reliable aspect. All right, Matthew 28, um, the message is simple. Go tell his disciples. Um, he's risen from the dead. Behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. Same thing with Jesus. Uh, verse 10, do not be afraid. Go, take word of my brethren to leave for Galilee. There they will see me. There they will see me. So the message is simple. That's the main message. Meet me in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. That's the main message from the angels and from the Lord himself when he meets these women there uh, in the t- uh, on the way. Now, why Galilee? Well, I believe they were, they're going to assemble there on a mountain. As they assemble there on the mountain, they're going to receive the Great Commission. What happens next in Matthew 28? They, um, they proceeded to Galilee. Okay? Uh, look at verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee. Why? To the mountain which Jesus had designated. Through whom? Well, through these women. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Now, this is another indicator why I believe that there was an ascension. There was an ascension in between. And now he comes back with, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We teach the Great Commission a lot. We're teaching it right now in the process of the evangelism class on Sunday nights. But put it in its in its um, in its in context is the reason why we're under a great commission is because Jesus Christ himself has ascended and is now returning with that commission from the Father. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The commissioned witnesses of his resurrection... So they will assemble on a mountain to receive the Great Commission. And I think this is the, the, not just the twelve. He appeared to Cephas first, then the twelve. Also to more than 500 at one time. This large venue allows for more than 500 disciples to see him at one time. I th- you know, other than the temple or maybe the, the Hippodrome or uh, <laughs> uh, Pilate's Praetorium, those, those are, you know, how many places? How many places were there in Jerusalem where five hundred disciples could gather at one place? Okay, there weren't many, and and most of them were off limits. <laughs> Pilate wasn't exactly going to allow them to have the Praetorium, okay. And uh, you know, gathering in the in the temple doesn't seem to be a, a bright idea. Okay, this is a private commissioning. He doesn't appear to everybody. He's only appearing to those that he's calling as witnesses. And I think that's significant. In fact, um, let's go back to, we've got a few minutes. Let's look at Acts chapter 5. We came across this in a different class last week, and it really hit me at how um, valuable this is. Acts chapter 5 at how um, the, uh, the witness that they have here in this chapter, that he was raised and he was granted to become visible. Raised and granted to become visible. And the, the role of the disciples now in preaching that. How we must obey God rather than man and, uh, and this. All right. Now I'm not seeing the verse I wanted to highlight. And this this will teach me. Now this will teach me. All right. We have a few minutes and this is important. 
Is it Acts chapter 10? Thank you. Yes. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. There we go. Thank you. Acts 10.40. We were there the other day too. <laughs> there we go. So we are witnesses. We are witnesses. And here's what you yourself know. Now he's talking to Gentiles. Talking to Cornelius. He's talking to Cornelius' household. All right. Um, verse 34 of Acts 10. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Okay? And this is what we have. we have. We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. His ministry was known to anyone that was alive at the time. Anyone that was there nearby, in proximity. And, uh, you know, we don't know that Jesus actually made it out to, uh, to uh, Caesarea. <laughs> all right, but he was throughout Galilee, he was throughout Judea. And we are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But that's not the end of the story. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. Now, I find that extraordinary. I find that amazing. Because the resurrection in, in a resurrection body would not in itself be visible. Remember, this body is mortal. That body is immortal. This body is of flesh. That body is, is spiritual. we got the physical and the spiritual the soulish and the spiritual. And uh, like angels, angels are beings of spirit, and how often are they visible? Only under permissive will, only when they're able to be manifest in a visible way. And so God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people. Notice he wasn't visible to Pilate. He wasn't visible to the high priest. He wasn't visible. That's why, I think that's why they didn't choose the, the temple as the venue for the 500 to assemble. He said, go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. Granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. Pre-chosen witnesses. Pre-chosen witnesses. Now, in a sense, of course, the Great Commission, the, the responsibility we have as evangelists is universal to the church. But these pre-chosen witnesses were commissioned. This is an apostolic commission. Pre-chosen witnesses sanctioned to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the requirement for apostolic ministry. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. These apostles of the Lamb that ate and drank with him before he was crucified, they ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. The unique apostolic calling. They ate with him the night in which he was betrayed. They ate with him after he was raised from the dead. And it's not a hallucination. There's another myth that, uh, well, they just, they thought he was raised. They hallucinated. Well, they, had, they shared the same hallucination, and it included a meal. All right. Of him, all the prophets bear witness. So their, their calling is really just the, uh, the capstone to the Old Testament prophetic announcements. You know, whereas you know, all the prophets were saying, Christ is coming, Christ is coming, Christ is coming. The apostles now got to say, he came. Okay? He came. He died. He rose again. <laughs> How awesome is that? Talk about, I came, I saw, I conquered, right? How about, he came, he died, he rose again. 
And there's the apostolic calling. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And so there it is. All right. Thank you for spotting that uh, Acts chapter 10 reference. So the main message is to go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. Okay? And it's, it's significant. They've got to get there. They've got to get there. That's where he's going to appear. That's where he's going to uh, announce the commission. He's going to announce his own warrant. The, the warrant that they have is based upon his authority as head of the church. His authority that's been granted to him, all authority in heaven and on earth. This uh, mountain, uh, the purpose is to receive the Great Commission, and this large venue allows for more than 500 disciples to see him at one time. All right. Next week, we will come back and we will get our first look at the guards. We will get our first look at the guards and their report. They finally wake up and uh, (laughs) they missed a lot. (laughs) All right. They missed all these women coming in and going. They missed Peter and John coming in and going. They missed Mary Magdalene and talking to the Lord. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 through 15, they go and report. Now, not all of them. It says some of them go and report. And it's remarkable. They, uh, more apologetic uh, blessings for us today. They are not friendly witnesses. They are not his disciples. They are not uh, believers. They're not even Jews. They are Romans, all right? They are hostile. They were there to guard with a seal on the stone to make sure nobody tampered with that body. The purpose for them being posted there was to keep people from stealing the body. And now they have to report that they failed in their assignment. And not only that, um, they're now going to be bribed to tell a lie that is the direct opposite of why they were posted there as guards in the first place. They were posted there to keep the body from being stolen. And now they're going to be bribed to lie the body was stolen. All right? And this testimony is useful for us today in our own apologetics. That it's not just simply the disciples that claimed the tomb was empty. Even the enemies admitted the tomb was empty. That's why they made up the lie. All right? They made up the lie. It's remarkable. Um, you get these uh, these skeptics that uh, <laughs> they think the lie is true. And it's a remarkable testimony. Well, why make up the lie? Why even make up the lie? Yeah. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this study. Thank you for our risen Savior. Thank you for the... Um, the most uh, historically documented documented event in human history, Father. The resurrection of our Savior. Um, thank you, Father, for the, for the blessing we have to be able to proclaim a risen Savior to this lost and dying world. And I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.